Good afternoon. Welcome to the Eco News Report. This week, your hosts are from the North Coast Environmental Center with Executive Director Larry Glass and Administrative and Development Director Bella Waters. The Eco News Report is an exclusive feature of KHSU brought to you by the North Coast Environmental Center, publisher of our regional environmental newspaper, Eco News. Don't forget you can find this show and other KHSU public affairs shows on the audio archives page at khsu.org. Today, we'll be providing brief snippets of current news that pertain to various environmental topics, such as the Trinidad Rancheria Hotel Project update, youth climate strikes, plastic pollution in SB 54, the true vulnerability of coastal California, and current climate news. So, Larry, what do you have for us first? Well, I would say the the story that we get a lot of reaction from at the NEC is the proposed hotel development at the Trinidad Rancheria. And we've been waiting for a while. There was a public input period of time where the NEC and many citizens put their written input in called the NEPA process or the National Environmental Policy Act process, typically run by federal agencies. But what we're learning about this particular version of it is that this one is run by the Bureau of Indian Affairs. So it's a lot different than what we've been used to in the past. We've engaged with the Forest Service and BLM routinely with NEPA projects, and it's it's just they're not running it the same way. But there was a meeting just recently that was held at the Trinidad City Council, held at Trinidad Town Hall. I attended that, and the Rancheria Economic Development Corporation represented by former Eureka City Manager Dave Tyson, rolled out their new plan. Mm. But, you know, from those of us sitting in the audience that I was in communication with and that I heard get up and speak, it looked like it was the same old plan with just a couple of revisions. But they're still planning to do a multi-story hotel, (laughs) you know, operated by a big chain, in this particular case, Hyatt. So they've basically kind of whacked off a story. So it was six stories before, it's five stories now, but on the top of it, there's still going to be some little pavilion or something. So not much change there. And then they have changed the facade a little bit so that it hints at being wood and rock Along with glass, the original version was like it was just all big glass. Right. Like the big skyscrapers you see in the big cities. So they've they've given it a little more of a hint of wood and rock in, in this latest design, but it still was be a large monstrous thing on the on the cliffside there in Trinidad. Anyways, I thought the most interesting statement of the night came from one of our NEC supporters who lives up that way, whose name is Don Allen, and he got up and he thanked the Rancheria for making some improvements to the design. But he said, this pig's going to need a lot more lipstick. <laughs> and I thought that sort of summed it up for the, for the presentation. They've, they've made attempts to address some of the things, water use, and wastewater they're going to they're going to do their laundry off-site 
So that will reduce some of the water they're going to use. But they were still putting out figures that people in the audience were a little skeptical of because as one speaker got up and said, you know, you're you're not even using the minimum that a house, you know, one person household would use per room. So that it seemed like the numbers were, they were stretching them a little bit to make them sound favorable to them. And the, of course, the big issue too, it will be water consumption because of course they're planning to get their water supply from the city of Trinidad's water supply. Luffenholz Creek is where Trinidad gets its water from. And in these new days of with climate change is not as reliable maybe as it once was. Right. And there's a few other straws in that creek as well. So it has been very low flow during some of these dry years. So that had people concerned. So I got up and spoke, and I encouraged the city of Trinidad to engage in government-to-government discussions with the BIA because I felt like my past has led me to believe that government agencies take municipalities a lot more seriously than they do just regular citizens or environmental activists like us. So hopefully they will do that, representing you know the interests of the people that live you know, in that immediate vicinity there, not to mention all of us that enjoy going to Trinidad right. and enjoying the bay and the scenic views around there. But we certainly recognize the sovereignty that the tribe has over that. So hopefully there can be some accord reached at some point. Okay. So Larry, is it true that Caltrans is going to start spraying in Trinity County? Unfortunately, that is what they have announced. Mm-hmm. And I I believe for our Humboldt listeners that this may be a looming threat also in Humboldt. We're trying to track that down as well. This seems to be something that's rearing its ugly head all over the state. We have no factual connection that we can make between France banning the use of glyphosate in their country and and Monsanto putting a big push on all these agencies that typically use it to use more. But it's an odd timing coincidence. So anyways, Caltrans was requested by the Board of Supervisors to meet with the Weed Area Management Committee that exists in Trinity County that's made up of different government agencies and representatives from SAFE, which I'm part of. But that's not what they did. Instead, they came to the supervisor's chambers last Thursday night and just basically gave a little dog and pony show about what they wanted to do. But the place was packed. I mean, it was an overflow crowd. My estimations, over 150 people were there, and we don't know how many people were turned away because the lobby was full and you couldn't get in. And that was right at 6 o'clock when it started. Anyways, it was a big crowd, overflow crowd, and citizens got their first chance to hear from Caltrans directly about the herbicide spraying plans. One of the things that's triggered this and made it even worse is that we just recently got a new ag commissioner in Trinity County. This fella, Joe Morio, is from Modoc County. He's what we call in the environmental movement a nozzle head. He loves to spray chemicals. And so this has not this has not helped matters at all because he's sort of giving Caltrans the green light to 
to go forward. So anyways, at this public meeting, Caltrans got up and really didn't have any specific details of their plan. They wouldn't tell us what chemicals they were going to use, when they were going to use it. Only thing they told us was they wanted to spray a pre-emergent herbicide very soon and then come back in the summer and spray again Mm. with a post-emergent herbicide. Members of the public got up and asked for notification of the public in advance so the public could avoid these areas when they're sprayed and immediately after they're sprayed. Because that's a lot of things people don't realize. Just the drift from the spray is not the only thing you have to worry about. You have to worry about what's called volatilization. That's when the sun hits the area that's been sprayed and the chemicals then rise up and you breathe their vapors. Mm-hmm. That's, that's one way people are exposed. Another way, of course, is if there's a surprise rain like we had yesterday, which wasn't supposed to be much of a thing and it wound up being a real gully washer, that can create runoff. Right. And these chemicals tend to bind to the soil. And so when the soil moves, like as in runoff, the chemicals move with them. So all these requests by the public come up with a working group to negotiate less than this. No, they, they rejected pretty much other ideas. There was even members of the audience that said, hey, tax us. We'll pay more to hire crews to go out and clear the brush. But they were uninterested. Some people suggested goats. I know goats work really well. I don't know how well they work right next to the highway, (laughs) but they do. It is a very effective way of getting the brush down. Mm -hmm. So we're waiting now to hear back from their bosses. The chair of our board of supervisors is reaching out to the head of Caltrans District 2, which covers the valley in northeastern california and also includes trinity county humboldt's in district one we're waiting to hear back from the head of district two if if they're going to be receptive to this outpouring of of concern from the public so we'll we'll let you know and for those of you that are interested in helping out that can't come to meetings or any of that we have a change.org petition up and it's called caltrans find another way don't spray and we already have over a thousand signatures so far, so join in our signature gathering. This also coincidentally is the fortieth anniversary of the founding of SAFE in Trinity County. This is what caused it to be founded in the first place was this sorts of activity. And for those of you that are nearby or might be interested in traveling over to Trinity County for a benefit band and and some food and dancing and whatnot on 420, of all things, we're having a benefit at the Junction City Grange. So more information from that, you can go to the SAFE website or SAFE's Facebook page and get more information about that. Hey, Bella, did you see all the high school students out demonstrating? That was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah, they, I think they said over 300 students from Arcata High and, School. And, and more in Eureka as well, and, yeah. and all over the world. And what got my attention as a veteran of all this stuff, that, that it was 1970, the first Earth Day, that kicked off the whole environmental movement and this whole concept of ecology, you know. Those were teach-ins. The original Mm -hmm. Earth Day stuff in 1970 on college campuses were teach-ins. So this this student strike, 
I hope that it's the seeds of another renaissance in ecological thought and and action. But yeah, I, I was amazed. So a while back, maybe late summer, early fall, this good friend of mine, Amy, a lot of you people see her out at the Arcadia Farmer's Market all the time selling her hand-weaved rugs and tie-dye stuff that she sells out there. She'd been telling me about this young girl in, in Sweden named Greta Thunberg and how awesome this young girl was and how she started this by herself. Like she walked out of school six months ago by herself and demonstrated. And that's sort of been the the seed of this whole movement of kids standing up. And she's a Swedish schoolgirl. And in the six months she's been doing her demonstration, she's now been nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize wow. by three Norwegian MPs nominated her. But these school strikes and demonstrations happened all over the world, and it really captured my imagination. And I tried to capture some of the essence of what students were saying. So I looked online, and there's pictures from these demonstrations in all these different countries. And, you know, not all of the demonstrations, but the ones in the bigger cities They had photographs of them, and so I tried to capture what some of the signs, the posters were saying that the kids were holding. In Washington, D.C., the sign said, oh, the crowd was actually chanting. This was a video that I saw. No more coal, no more oil, keep your carbon in the soil. Very good. So I thought that's a good chant. And so some of the signs that that I saw in New York, that was a, a young woman that had a sign that said, I'm supposed to be in school, but instead I'm out here trying to make sure my kids don't grow up in a wasteland. In London, there was a sign that said, have fun spending your money on a dead planet. It also had a sign that said, system change, not climate change. Mm. In Berlin, the signs were in German, (laughs) but I translated it. Umwelt verschend CO2, which roughly means environment polluted with CO2. In Brussels, save our planet, you're never too small to make a difference. And in Sydney, Australia, even though we can't vote, we can take a stand. And another sign said, I was hoping for a cooler death. (laughs) In San Francisco, the sign that stood out the most to me was, Dear Nancy Pelosi, will you support the Green New Deal? And I believe she is. Oh, good. And in Kumpala, Uganda which I thought was a cool shot. There was a sign that said, Save Mama Africa. Mm. So it's either a Peter Tosh fan or (laughs) that's a thing over in Africa now. And there's no Planet B. That seems to be a popular one. Yeah, yeah. So true. And then in Stockholm, Sweden, the climate is changing. Why aren't we? And then I found out about this group that's founded by a 16-year-old, Nadia Nazar, the group is called Zero Hour, and they call themselves Generation Z, which is people born from the mid-90s to the early 2000s, and they're trying to focus on, they're saying we're the first generation that's going to grow up with the climate already changed, and that we will see the, <laughs> the sort of the final chapter. Right. So kind of an amazing time, and we can only hope that this continues to catch fire and 
like Earth Day did a long time ago, which got people interested in understanding the concept of ecology. Because back then, that was like, nobody knew what that was. Recycling. Recycling was radical back then. Mm -hmm. You know, Bella, I came across this article that I was telling you about that's pretty critical of how those of us that are trying to make people, the broader public, aware of climate change. And this one's pretty critical of how we're going about doing it. It, it goes after some of the, the big voices in the climate change movement, Bill McKibben, George Montbiat, and David Wallace-Wells, and says that the, the message, I'm scared, people should be scared, here's the facts, you should be scared too, isn't really working too well, and particularly not working well is the concept of my feelings are right, yours are wrong, I can see the problem, and if you can't, there's something wrong with you. Which, that's a, that's a fair criticism, because right. there are people that are sort of taking that, instead of, hey, we're all in the same boat, and did you... S- see that tornado last week in you know wherever it was or that hear about that heat wave or you know i think that's a seems like maybe a more responsible way to communicate so all of us that are trying to make people more aware of climate change we need to make it more real to everyday people and we need to make it more immediate because telling people something's going to happen in 2050 yeah they're not they're not. They're having to think about how they're paying their rent next exactly. week. Exactly. They're not. They're not concerned about 2050. Right. So that article has some good ideas on how people it does. can. It does. Yeah. So we'll have that posted on the website so people can read it in depth. Right. And another article that you have that people are making changes in their lifestyle. Yeah. yeah this one. This one surprised me, but it didn't surprise me. But yeah. War, famine, and drought. More women are saying they don't want to have children because of climate change. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess I can understand it, but I guess that's starting to make it real for people. You know, it's like if you don't want to procreate, then you must be taking it seriously. Right. Because that's a human drive that's been with us since humans have been on the planet. Mm-hmm. And to not want to bring new people in the world. And, you know, the. The topic was raised recently by one of our heroes, and that's the newly elected representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who said, really, is it okay to still have kids? And and so that's really sort of started a, a discussion, and there's like Facebook sites that are springing up that are called Birth Strike. It's like where people or women are pledging to not have kids because... Mm-hmm. Who wants to bring a kid up in potentially a, a world with limited or no resources left? Right. When there already are so many kids that need homes, too. Right. Yeah. Okay. Recently, a federal judge has demanded the Trump administration reveal how its drilling plans are going to affect climate change. So this ruling temporary halts oil drilling on 300,000 acres of leases in Wyoming. This is something that Trump has done since he got in office. He's tried to just 
open up coal and oil extraction all over the United States. And so this judge is telling them he has to divulge how it's going to affect the climate. Of course, that's a question they don't want to answer. Sure, but they need to. And another big topic that that I am beginning to put up there as sort of my number one environmental disaster, and this is something we've got to, that we can all have an effect on, I'm going to start calling it the war on plastic because plastics are made from oil. And these new warnings about the, the public's health risk as the fracking industry now, hate fracking, yeah, which is which has gotten big and powerful, is trying to promote new ways for their product to be used. They're promoting this build out of plastic manufacturing in in a couple of different places in the U.S. Around Pennsylvania. Ohio and West Virginia, there's new plastic manufacturing plants springing up. And part of this is being felt because, of course, the Chinese figured out that we were just dumping all of our used plastic waste on them, and so they stopped taking it. But they're making new plants as well. And these these plants are springing up everywhere, where and they're they're bringing toxic and carcinogenic health risks to people at every stage. So when they're pulled out of the ground, when they're manufactured, when they're consumed, when they're used, and then when they're disposed of. So everywhere through their whole life, these plastics are polluting. And there's something that a lot of people hadn't realized. I know I didn't realize it is that plastics, as they break down, are releasing hydrocarbons into the atmosphere. So besides creating microplastics that, are, that we've talked about on this show, yeah. getting into your food and your animals and everything else, the hydrocarbons are being released in the atmosphere. So, yeah, this is, we've got to start talking about how we can reduce plastics. And it just so happens that we have a... A bill that will do just that. SB 54, the California Circular Economy and Plastic Pollution Reduction Act, has has been introduced now, and this is something that is a step in the right direction. It would adopt regulations to reduce at the source and recycle 75% of single-use packaging and products sold and distributed in California by 2030. That's not ambitious enough for me, but it's a start. It's a start. And so we want to be sure that we let NEC sign the letter of support for this, and we want to let you to let your local officials know, let Senator McGuire know that we would like him to support this bill as well. Correct. Yep. According to the LA Times article, you don't need to be a Nobel physicist to figure the direction California must go to solve its acute housing shortage. It must go up. The California Ranch House Lifestyle, founded on sunshine and ample backyard space for a pool, has become increasingly unaffordable for middle-class families in urban areas where most jobs exist. So there's a few bills coming up. There's SB 50 that would attempt to boost home building near transit. Developers could build up to five-story apartment and condo complexes around rail stations. Uh, 
SB 330 is a bill that would declare a statewide housing emergency and require local governments to expedite their permitting of home building. AB 11 is a bill to create new, cleaner versions of redevelopment agencies that were killed in 2011 by Governor Jerry Brown and the legislature. And AB 1487 would incentivize building of high-density, affordable rentals for low-income people near transit stations. So over the decades, the ranch-style home has expanded, devouring open space and pushing up prices. They found that it's cheaper to build larger houses than it is to make smaller, more houses for people. So unaffordable homes and unbearable commutes are the two main factors driving housing away from suburban sprawl and toward urban transportation centers. So we will look forward to seeing the action on those bills and how it addresses affordability of houses in California. Yeah, the one the one thing that makes me concerned about SB 330 is that's great that they want to reduce the red tape to get new houses built, but that's what we went through with Santa Rosa, where they let them build houses that were not fire safe. Right. They they waived the restrictions and let them just put up all those houses, and then we saw what happened. They just burned up. So hopefully they won't go too far with that's restricting true. local governments from making sure that these houses are built fire safe. Yeah, good call. Well, Larry, let's end on some good news. What do you have? Yeah, I found this I found this article I th- I thought was fascinating. So in in Africa where in Kenya, Africa as a matter of fact, where the climate change has really been impacting small farmers, comes this story where these farmers have started planting trees in their fields. And they're finding that this native tree, which name I can't pronounce, but it's a native tree that grows there in Africa, is helping with the agricultural crops that they want to grow. They're growing them under the tree. So in the shade of the tree, they're finding that the trees help them help protect their crops from the the blistering sun that they have. And they can... Farmers can also earn over 3 million Kenya shillings, or $29,000, per hectare by selling the timber that they, that they get from growing these native trees. So as the climate change worsens and, worsen and farmers struggle to make reliable income from food crops alone, some in arid Kenya are turning to what's called ag- agroforestry. This is not angry forestry, <laughs> agroforestry, which is the practice of growing trees in their fields. They discover that mixing the Melia Volksi tree, I don't think I'm pronouncing that right, in with their crops is one of the simplest, most effective ways of protecting their farms and their livelihoods. This example that they use, this gentleman planted a hundred of those trees in his 65 hectare which is about a 160-acre farm in Kibwitsi in southern Kenya. Ten years later, he has now 7,000 trees. And uh, while the shade stops the sun scorching his crops, the dew that falls from the leaves at night also keeps his soil from going thirsty, and the branches act as a buffer against the windstorms. And whenever he needs to, he can bring in some extra money by selling the wood. So 
Those are the kinds of ingenious humans that we need on the planet, figuring out a way that we're going to survive in these changing times. But the idea of planting native trees really struck a chord with me. It's a good story. Yep. All right. Before we end the show, a few announcements. This Saturday, join the NEC and other collaborators for a Clam Beach cleanup. Meet at 1 p.m. at the North Clam Beach parking lot. Next Friday, April 5th, join the NEC at Arts and Drafts in Eureka from 5 to 9 for a Dutch raffle, upcycling, and zero-waste crafts event during a Pints for Nonprofits. And then we'll also be hosting an Earth Day cleanup on Saturday, April 20th from 12 to 2. Check our website or call the office for more details. This has been the Eco News Report with Bella Waters and Larry Glass, and we've been your hosts for the past half hour. You can find more information about the issues we've discussed on the NEC website, yournec.org. If you'd like to replay this interview or share it with others, you can go to the public affairs page on KHSU website at khsu.org, where these programs are archived for two weeks after they air. Previous shows are posted on the North Coast Environmental Center website. If you have any questions or comments about this program, please call KHSU's listener comment line at 826-6089. The Eco News Report is produced for KHSU, located at Humboldt State University in cooperation with the North Coast Environmental Center. Many thanks to Fred McLaughlin for engineering. Join us again for the next Eco News Report.